are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Scripture this morning is Psalm 2, Second Psalm. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is killed but a little. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The heathen are the Gentiles, the nations. Why do the Gentile nations rage? And the people are the people of Israel, the Jews. They imagine a vain thing. What is the vain thing they imagine? They imagine that they can have their kingdom without the king. They imagine that they can have the millennium without the Messiah. A few years ago, I rode along by the side of the Sea of Galilee, and I asked an Israeli guide, what is that concrete flume for? It was a flume, a concrete trough along the side of the sea. He said there are salt springs in the Sea of Galilee, But he said, we have gone down beneath the waves, down to the bottom of the sea, and we have kept those springs. We bring the salt water out and put it in that flume. It goes into the Jordan River and on into the Dead Sea. So he said, the water of Galilee is fresh water, and we're using it to cause the desert to blossom as the rose. Oh, I said, you got that expression from the prophet Isaiah, the 35th chapter. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it and the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, 
and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame man shall leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. And I said, you know, when your Messiah was here the first time, for he's been here once, he demonstrated his power to bring about those conditions. He had power over the material universe. He stilled the tempest. He turned water to wine. He caused lame people leap as an heart. He opened blind eyes and unstopped deaf ears. He has power over the material universe. Why, he cursed the fig tree and the leaves began to wither and fall to the ground. He has all power. And when he comes back, the wilderness and the solitary place will be glad. And the, the, the desert shall blossom as the rose. But it's when he comes that these things will take place. He said, you know, there are those who believe that. But he said, we're going to do that ourselves. We are going to cause the desert to blossom as the rose. And we're going to bring about those conditions. Now they imagine a vain thing. And the heathen rage, the nations rage. The kings set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. That prophecy was fulfilled the very day that Jesus was crucified. That is, it was partially fulfilled, and Simon Peter called attention to that fact at Pentecost. But it was not ultimately fulfilled. You see, prophecy usually has more than one fulfillment. But the nations will take counsel, the rulers of the nations. And they're doing it today. They do it at United Nations. And they take counsel as to how they can get along without God and break his bands asunder. For the religion of our day is humanism. Do you know what UNESCO is? United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. The first meeting was held 25 years ago last November was held at the Sorbonne, and the outstanding speaker on that occasion was Dr. Andre Malro, who just a couple of years ago wrote a bestseller book. He's now Minister of Culture in France. But in the introduction to his lecture on man and culture at the first meeting of UNESCO, Dr. Malro said, quote, At the end of the 19th century, the great tragic voice of Nietzsche was heard once again over the archipelago, saying, The old God is dead, giving to those words all of his expression. This meant there was hope for the royalty of man. End of the quotation. If the old God is dead, there is hope for the royalty of man, he was saying. If God is dead, man can have God's throne. So here, in less than 25 years, we have professors in Methodist and Baptist institutions teaching that the old God is dead. The apostles of the God is dead movement teach in Emory University, a Methodist school, and in Colgate, Rochester University, a Northern Baptist to American Baptist institution. Uh, the institution supplemented by money given in the name of Jesus Christ by Christian people. But they're teaching that God is dead. The old God is dead. We are going to have a new God. Let man be God. We put men on the move. You know, Titov, the 
second Russian cosmonaut went out in space and stayed a half a day and came back and he said, uh, there's no God. He said, I've been out in space and I didn't find God out there. So he said, there's no God. Well, you've got to go everywhere in the universe to prove there's no God. There may be a God somewhere you haven't been. He hasn't been anywhere. But I could have told him he wouldn't find God. If you can't find God down here where there's something, you won't find God out there where there's nothing. <laughs> but he hasn't been anywhere. He just went out a couple of hundred miles. Commander Glenn held his hand over his head. He said, that's 80 inches from the floor. He said, let an inch represent a hundred miles. He said, on that scale, this is the diameter of the earth. Now, he said, I was projected out in space about 200 miles. He said, on that scale, I went out about that far. Well, that's all Titov did. He went out about that far and came back and said, there's no God. We put men on the moon. That's 30 times this far. But that's nowhere. The moon's our neighbor. It's only 240,000 miles away. It revolves around this, this planet. It's our backyard. And we put men out there. We use some of the oxygen that God created to keep them alive. And they bottled it up and took it along. And uh, we use some of God's uh, energy to shoot them out there. Some of the elements that God created. And it was a wonderful feat. It was a, it was a wonderful thing. And we had a holiday when the first moon landing was made. The next day, we had a holiday, and Walter Cronkite got on television and introduced a man who he said was the most brilliant space writer in the world. And he asked this erudite scholar, what theological implication does the moon landing have? Oh, he said, great theological implication. He said, by 1980, the churches will be filled to capacity. For he said, you see... Man has felt that there is no God. Well, he meant he felt that way. All of us don't feel that way. But he said, man has felt that there is no God. But he said, now we have come to realize that there is a God. But we realize now that man is God. What pure thinking. Puny little man can use God's elements to get himself out to the moon the satellite of this earth. And we may put men on Mars, but that's nowhere. That's only 42 million miles. Why, Mars is right out there. The nearest star to this earth is Beta Centauri. Two, well, it's four light years. 26 trillions of miles. Beta Centauri, that's the nearest star. The planets are not stars. The planets are glowing red uh, uh, bodies out there, they don't twinkle. But the twinkling stars, the myriads of stars, are suns to other systems. And the nearest of them is 26 trillion miles. And if you should go out to Beta Centauri in a rocket, at the average rate the rockets travel, that's 18,000 miles an hour, it would take you 180,000 86,900 years to get out there. And you'd die of old age before you got back. <laughs> and yet Titov went out that far and said there's no God. And the scholar interviewed by Cronkite said, 
man is God. God struck the anvil of his purpose and sun sprang blazing. In the Milky Way alone, there are more than 200, or more than 2 million suns, each with worlds revolving around it in the Milky Way. The nearest bodies in the Milky Way are more than 200,000 light years away. It takes light 200,000 years to come from those bodies. But the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing, and they say, we'll take God's place. We'll work out all of our problems without God. We'll control birth, and we'll control old age, and we'll control the people, and we'll have equity and justice. And when people run for office, they promise justice and peace. We'll have peace if we have to kill everybody. We're going to have peace and justice. When Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is the only one who can bring it, and he's the only one who can bring justice and equity, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 8, a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. But man says we'll get along without God. We'll get God off of the throne, then man can be God. And you know it's funny to God. He laughs about it. He looks down and says, look at puny little old man down there. <laughs> I remember a cartoon I saw one time by the late Arthur Brisbane many years ago. Uh, I saw it was a very ingenious thing the palm of a man's hand, a huge hand, and a little man was standing in the palm, but as he looked out, the edge of the hand was the horizon, and as if he were standing in a plane, he was looking out at the horizon, strutting around, saying there's no God, while all the time he was being held in the hand of a loving God. But man says, we don't want God. We We'll have to get rid of him because we're uncomfortable so long as an authoritative God sits on a throne and says, Thou shalt and thou shalt not. We don't feel right about killing unborn babes so long as God sits up in heaven and says, Thou shalt not kill. And we can't have a new morality so long as God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So the alternative is to get rid of God. Let us break his bands asunder and cast his cords away. Let's not be tied to God's apron string any longer. And God says, that's funny. <laughs> Look at little old man. He's almost cute. Look down there. Come here, Gabriel. I want to show you something. See that puny little thing down there? Says he's going to get rid of me. It seems as if God would have to have a microscope to see us. And yet we... Going to get along without the infinite God, whose air we breathe and whose, the, on whose dirt we walk. And God looks over us and he laughs. It's funny and yet it's pitiable, very sternly, he says, as he turns to his son. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree, thou art my son. 
This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And the son will say, Father, I died to redeem the earth as well as the sons of men. And the father will say, go and possess them. Now that's going to take place after the rapture of the saints. The next thing on the prophetic program is the coming of Christ for his own. I don't know when that will be. Maybe very soon. I do not say that Jesus is coming soon. Over 40 years ago, when we were students, in, when I was a student in college, we sang a little chorus, He's coming soon, He's coming soon. We'll meet Him in the air and all His glory share. Hallelujah, He's coming soon. That's been more than four decades, hasn't come yet. I used to ride down the highway and see these signs, Jesus is soon coming. They were wooden signs, but they began to rot away, and some well-meaning Christians put them back in concrete. Jesus is soon coming. Well, what do you mean by that? The Bible doesn't say he's soon coming. It says when he comes, it's going to be like a streak of lightning. He's coming quickly, not necessarily soon. It seems as if the stage is set for the rapture. And it may take place at any moment. And the more I study the Word of God and the more I study current events and read history, the more I look for Jesus to come. His coming is imminent. It may be before I close this message that Jesus will come. But he may tarry. But the next thing on the prophetic program is the rapture of the saints. Nothing must be fulfilled before that takes place. Sometimes people say to me, the return of Israel to Palestine is a sign of the coming of Jesus. Not necessarily. It looks as if it's the setting of the stage for the drama of the end time to take place. Because certain things will have to transpire in Palestine with the Jews there during the tribulation period. And it seems as if the coming of Jesus will be very soon. But he may die. But the next thing will be the rapture. And then, then the fulfillment of this part of the song. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. In the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. If you want to see how God will treat the nations, you get an old clay pot, a flower pot, and get an iron rod and break it to pieces and see what happens. That's the way God will dash the nations when he comes in judgment at the end of the tribulation period. And during the tribulation. And he says, Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Mr. Judge, you had better get hip. You had better wise up. Be wise, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges. Smarten up. Kiss the sun. Lest he be angry. He can get angry. He got angry one time and walked into the temple and said, You've made my father's house a den of thieves. And his eyes flashed fire and those money changers got out of there. He kicked over money tables. Drove out the oxen. Three years later he came back. And this time he entered the city as king. Rode in on the fold of an ass, fulfilling prophecy. And went directly to the temple and he did not say my father's house. He had come as king this time. 
And he said, the zeal of my house has eaten me up. They got out of there. It's not wrong to get angry. Dr. Jones Sr. used to say, the test of your character is what does it take to make you angry? He said the thing that made Jesus angry, the thing that made Paul angry, was the perversion of religion. But he's going to get real angry. He's going to get angry with a godless world. The rapture will take place. And the first thing that happens after the rapture, John has a vision, you know, and he sees a book that nobody is able to open except Jesus. It's a seven-scroll book. It has seven seals. It's like a scroll, one scroll. He breaks a seal and opens part of it, and then opens some more, breaks another seal. When the first seal is broken, there's a white horse going across the stage of history. And he has power to... Well, he's bringing in peace. He gets elected on that ticket, no doubt. And the second seal is broken, and a red horse goes across the stage of history, and I think it's the same rider. He has a sword. And he has power to take peace from the earth. He's the one with the authority to push the button. I believe the first rider symbolizes rebuilding of the Roman Empire, the coming in of the Roman Empire. And the second one symbolizes the ability of that dictator of the empire to take peace from the earth. And the third horse, the third seal is broken, and the black horse comes across, and uh, his rider has, a, has balances, and he cries, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that thou hurt not the oil of the wine. He's the one with the authority to say, Freeze your prices. Freeze your wages. We'll control the economy. And all through the Western world, it'll be controlled as it is in the Eastern world today. The revived Roman Empire. And then there's a pale rider, a horse, and a pale and his rider, and, and he, he is called death, and hell follows in his wake. And then the fifth seal is broken, and down under the throne of God are martyred saints. And they're crying out for vengeance upon this godless world. But the Lord says, hold your peace. The wine cup of my wrath is not yet full. Just hold your peace. Tribulation hasn't begun yet. The rapture has taken place, but the first three and a half years have not passed yet. The last half of the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period, is the time of the Great Tribulation. Many things will transpire in the middle of the period. The devil will be cast out of heaven and confined to the earth. The dictator of the revived Roman Empire will be assassinated. Uh, 144,000 evangelists from the tribes of Israel will be sent out to preach the gospel where it's never been preached. And great multitudes whom no man could number from every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation will be converted. We see them around the millennial throne of Christ. And uh, But before that takes place... The, the, the sixth seal is broken, and there's general anarchy. And then before the seventh seal is opened, the middle of the period comes. The wine cup is filling up. And he says, everybody get quiet. Quiet. The cup of my wrath is almost full. You angels quit singing holy, holy. All quiet. There was silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. A calm before the storm. And he says, now it's to the brim. It's about to run over. Break the seventh seal. The seal is broken. And he pours out the wine cup of his indignation. 
seven angels appear, and the first one sounds a trumpet. Each has a trumpet. And simultaneously, seven other angels appear with bowls of wrath. The first trumpet sounds, and a bomb falls upon the earth, and a third of all green things are destroyed, and a third of the people are destroyed. And the first vial of wrath is poured upon the earth. There's great devastation. And the second trumpet sounds, and a star falls into the sea, and a third of the sea turns to blood. And all living things in that portion of the sea die. And the second vial is poured upon the sea. And the third trumpet sounds, and, and there's a judgment upon the fountains of water. And the second, third vial of wrath is poured into the fountains of water. You talk about pollution, they'll have it. They can't drink the water. And the fourth trumpet sounds, and a third of the sun refuses to shine. And the fourth vial of wrath is poured upon the sun, and that portion that shines will scorch men with intense heat. And the fifth trumpet sounds, and that's the first of three great woes. An angel flies through heaven just before the trumpet sounds and says, Woe, woe, woe! By the reason of the judgments of the trumpets that are yet to sound. And the first one sound. John said, I saw an angel fallen from heaven. Ought to be translated fallen. And he opened the bottomless pit. And creatures came out of the pit. They looked something like hippies. They have hair like women and faces like men. And they have teeth like lions. And they call locusts or like locusts. And they have stings in their tails as scorpions. And they torment men, hurt men, five months. But the fifth vial of wrath is poured upon the seat of the beast. Apollyon, destroyer who opens the pit, is none other than the devil, and he's the one who empowers the beast. And there's some connection there, which I haven't time for. But the sixth trumpet sounds, and the river Euphrates is affected, the angels or at least, we're told, and then the vial of wrath is poured into it, and it dries up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. I believe the armies of the great northern confederacy and the eastern nations, Red China and others, will come across. That sounded incredible before Korea, during which they poured millions of men in as cannon fodder, but 200 million. 200,000 thousand soldiers will come across the Euphrates down to the Battle of Armageddon where blood will run to the girdles of horses in some places out there in that beautiful valley of Jezreel the plain of Israel. And the seventh field trumpet sounds and there's, there's blood and hail and fire and judgment and earthquakes and And then the Lord Jesus will come and set up his throne. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. And you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. The day of his wrath has not yet come. This is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to Jesus, kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way but a little. Jesus shall reign 
Where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. We're on the winning side. We're with Jesus. We'll ride above the storm with Jesus. He may come for us today. And we'll come back with Jesus. And blessed and holy are they who have, have part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.